The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing Program, presented by GE. Welcome to Slate's interview podcast, The Weigelcast. I'm Slate's political reporter, Dave Weigel, and my guest this week is Congressman Justin Amash, a Republican from Michigan's 3rd District. Amash was elected in 2010 when he was just 30 years old and with the backing of Ron Paul's libertarian movement. He has not disappointed those voters. He voted against John Boehner for Speaker. He voted against almost every spending bill that came up. And in 2013, he nearly succeeded in cutting off funds for the NSA's metadata collection program. Amash is being challenged by Brian Ellis, a businessman backed by the Chamber of Commerce. So I caught up with him at a parade and fair in Ionia, a small town in his district. Basically, we're in the final stretch of this of this race. A big issue in this campaign has been your voting record and the way your opponent will bring up a vote, try to put it in a different context. What do you make of the, the voting tallies that gauge how partisan somebody is because of the, the, the mass of whether they voted for or against you know, John Boehner's bill? Well, you've got to look at whether they're examining just a few votes or all of the votes. And then people vote yes or no for very different reasons. If you look at all the votes that I've taken, uh, it's pretty clear that I uh, vote less often with the Democrats than just about anyone in Congress. It's true that I also uh, vote less often with Republicans than many Republicans. And that's because I'm independent. My job is to represent the district, follow the Constitution, and uh, do what's right for ordinary Americans. So uh, when you do that, you're going to have a voting record that is unique because most members of Congress don't operate that way. And when you've got uh, a challenger, the uh, strategy for that challenger is generally to smear and uh, to take a lot of desperate shots, uh, distort the voting record, and take things out of context. And that's what Brian Ellis has been doing this whole campaign. I, I talk about some of these specific votes because it just, it just seems interesting, kind of illustrative of how Congress works, the way that they're used against you. Have you been surprised when you explain your vote for, say, an abortion measure, and saying that you didn't, you can talk, talk about that, you got on the wrong side of Right for Life group, even though you're pro-life, because you thought a gender selection abortion bill, the, the, the part that added that put the onus on reporting... Uh, Reporting an abortion was in violation of privacy, and then that turns a a right-to-life organization against you. Are these people missing something, or are they naive about the way Congress works? They're looking at messaging. They're looking at uh, short-term measures. But that particular bill would have actually been harmful to the pro-life cause. If you uh, start pushing for reporting requirements, you could just as easily have, under the Obama administration with a Democratic Congress, a reporting requirement uh, where you have to report on someone who refuses to perform an abortion or else you go to prison. Um, And we don't want to have that as uh, uh, pro-life believers. So I'm looking at the long-term consequences of the legislation. I will do what I think is right. And uh, one organization shouldn't have the say on what is pro-life and what is not pro-life. We as pro-life individuals can make that determination. I'm 100% pro-life. At times, I've thought that right to life is not pro-life enough. So um, what gives them the authority to say that uh, their scorecard is the only one that counts. And by the way, I have a 100% score from right to life this term. 
and uh, their policy has been to base their endorsements on the current term. So they've moved away from a long-standing policy just to go after me because they're teaming up with the rest of the establishment. We'll get back to my interview with Congressman Amash in a moment after a quick word from our sponsor. The WagoCast is part of the Hashtag Pressing program presented by GE. Hashtag Pressing is working with some of the country's best news organizations to bring you thoughtful discussions of policy, not heated arguments about politics. I'd like to thank GE for making the program possible. And back to my conversation with Justin Amash. The ad on the air that I've actually heard people in the district talk about quotes Devin Nunes saying, that you're Al-Qaeda's best friend. You responded to that at the time. As best friend in Congress, not the best friend on the planet. I don't think he meant that. But... but that I mean, you haven't gone one on one with with Brian Ellis, and I think, and you said he's running a smear campaign. You're not going to debate him, but why? Why is the accusation that what you've done on the NSA aiding Al Qaeda wrongheaded? If you know, if the Obama administration says, if their panels say this is this been aiding the enemy, just rebut the argument that Al Qaeda was hap- is happy if we dismantle part of the NSA's data collection. Those who want to violate our privacy ignore the Constitution. There are very few Americans who agree with Devin Nunes or Brian Ellis or Mike Rogers on any of these privacy issues. The vast majority of Americans agree with my position, and that's even starting to show up in congressional votes. It took a while for that to filter up to Congress, and I don't know of any person in the country other than Brian Ellis running on a full reauthorization of Section 215 of the Patriot Act. No reforms. It's uh, it, it's astonishing, and um, as people have come to recognize that, uh, they're astonished too. I guess culturally, it seems, and rhetorically, that what you're saying. I think has become more popular, and I think you, you even said you enjoyed the last Captain America movie. You enjoyed, yeah, the, you right. enjoyed the theme of, of, of drone of drone warfare in, in that movie. But what, what, did that, what did that say to you about the current conversation on surveillance on security? The fact that that was a blockbuster, you know, for a while the biggest movie of the year. We've had a lot of movies like that recently, and they've been very popular because the American people are sick and tired of the government violating uh, their rights. We want a government that protects our rights. That's the point of the Constitution. And it is a danger to our entire country if the Constitution is simply ignored because someone in power wants to have knowledge about uh, where every single person is and what they're doing. Uh, We can defend our country by following the Constitution. The Fourth Amendment already creates a balance between security and liberty. It's designed to maximize both uh, because the more liberty you have, uh, the more prosperous our country will be and uh, the greater our ability will will be to protect ourselves. Um, If you have a surveillance state, a security state, a police state, uh, society breaks down and you actually have a more dangerous situation. What if... What surprised you or what has frustrated you in the way this has worked through Congress? I mean, 
your your amendment in 2013 surprises people, gets more votes than people than people think. The House can, has has passed, and with you know, Democrats and Republicans reforms, they seem to be gum, gummed up in the Senate. Uh, when they get to the Senate Intelligence Committee, what do you see changing that? Have more Republicans in the Senate change that, and why do you think they've been so effective in gumming this up in the Senate? They've been effective because the president doesn't want to really reform the measure. What's going to change it is not just more Republicans. It's more members of Congress, more new members of Congress. Uh, The old guard members of Congress, the ones who have been around for 20 to 30 years, uh, came from a different era. They uh, view these issues very differently. And most of the new members, regardless of age are far more inclined to be concerned about the Constitution and privacy and protecting people's rights. So uh, as we have more new Republicans and new Democrats come in, I think this is going to shift. And if you could get a president in there like Rand Paul, you would have a a more significant shift. If you have a Hillary Clinton, you're going to get the same thing uh, that we have now. I just have two, two, two more quick things. On that, do you support John Boehner's lawsuit of the president, which is which is on the implementation of the health care law, not on anything, anything we just discussed? And do you think there should be any, any further steps? It seems like a lot of the impeachment talk is Democrats baiting Republicans into talking about impeachment. But if, if the president is, is flouting the law, what is the correct response? How far should it go? The, the speaker has the right to do what he's doing. Do I think it's the uh, best alternative? No. I think there are things the Speaker could do that he has refused to do. We have the power of the purse in the House. We can control appropriations. The Speaker has not done a very good job of uh, limiting the President's authority through appropriations. Um, So I would go through the normal constitutional mechanisms before uh, we do a, a private lawsuit and uh, kick it over to the courts. My preference is that the court not be uh, handling disputes between the White House and Congress. It's it's a fair lawsuit to push forward with, but it's not my uh, top choice. What, what did you take out of David Pratt's defeat of Eric Cantor, too? And, and since you've opposed John Boehner at the start of this Congress, would you like to see more t- more turnover and a new speaker in the next one? I'd like to see who's running for speaker. Um, I supported Raul Labrador last time. I hope that uh, someone like Jeb Henserling will consider running for speaker. Speaker Boehner has a long way to go uh, to prove to us that he's uh, the right man to lead us going forward. I personally like Speaker Boehner, uh, but there are a lot of items that have come up over the past a few years that have raised questions about uh, his leadership, and um, one of them is, is frankly that you had a fellow Republican congressman smearing another congressman, and we didn't hear a peep from the speaker about it, uh, but he's been quick to chime in uh, on a lot of other issues. Have you talked to Devin Nunes since he said that, about, about what he said, and your NSA voting being pro-Al-Qaeda? I haven't talked to Devin Nunes about it. I think uh, it's his responsibility uh, to apologize for it if he's uh, sorry about what he said. I did speak to our entire leadership team about it. Uh, so far, I haven't seen any action taken. And last thing is just, 
what would this race mean if you win the, if you win this primary against an opponent who has attacked on those issues having the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, all these groups against you, having Mike Rogers against you, what, what would it mean to win this primary? What message would that send? It confirms what I've been saying all along. The people want a representative who will represent ordinary Americans, not special interest groups, not the politically connected, not the wealthy. We have to represent all Americans, including ordinary Americans. Everyone has the right to come to Congress and uh, make their pitches. I'm proud to be the representative uh, for regular people, and that's why I'm confident we'll win big. That's it for this week's Weigelcast. Thanks to our producer, Alexis Dial, to Slate senior producer, Mike Volo, and the executive producer of Slate's podcast, Andy Bowers. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes, and please check out one of Slate's other podcasts. I'm Dave Weigel, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.